Good morning. You glad? Well, I didn't hear much on this side. You guys glad to be here? Well, say it like you mean it. There you go. There you go. And if you're watching through live stream, glad that you have you with us. And I would invite you to come and experience this for yourself face to face. It's quite nothing like getting together in person with the people of God. Today we begin a new series entitled, Behold, a Savior is Born. And to kick things off, we will see that thousands of years ago, there were prophets in the Old Testament who wrote about a future day when God would send a Savior to save His people. It's during this season that we celebrate that in a dirty stable in Bethlehem long ago, there was born a baby. And this baby would change the world and give the world eternal hope. To really enjoy Christmas, you must embrace hope. Now this happens many ways. I just told you as a child, the Christmas book. How many of you remember the Sears Roebuck catalog that would come around Christmas time and you'd open up and you circle things? Some of them would tell your parents, hey, I want all this, you know, <laughs> I want this, I want that. And you just walk by that tree. Most people put the Christmas tree after Thanksgiving as you walk through the living room, wherever that tree may be. As you walk by it, you think, hmm, I wonder if what I really want is underneath that tree. And Christmas morning, I'll be able to open it, and I can have it for myself. But like I said, this, this hope that every child feels is pointing to something bigger, greater and more meaningful than any earthly story can offer. And as I told the children a minute ago, we're talking about the birth of Christ. Beyond all the sales, behind everything I will tell you, this makes a perfect Christmas gift. All the decorations, all the celebrations, the reason for the season is the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And it's because of his birth we can have hope that our greatest desires of significance, forgiveness, and wholeness are available to us. And these, we don't have to wait to open them up. Because if you've given your life to Christ, place your faith in him, you can have them right here and right now. Don't have to wait to open them up. What I'm talking about, once again, is significance, forgiveness, and wholeness. And because of that reality that you can have those things, fills you with hope. No matter your circumstances or situation you may find yourself in. The people in the Old Testament were waiting and hoping for God to fulfill his promise. To bless them and through them bless the entire world. That word Messiah means anointed one. And Isaiah wrote about the coming of Christ, the birth of Christ, hundreds of years before the event even took place. Now, I am talking about verse 14, about the coming Christ, but I want us to go back and look at verse 10 and coming down to verse 14 so we get some context and some background to that verse 14. Look back in verse 10. Then the Lord spoke again to Ahaz. Now, he's a king. He was the 11th king of Judah since the kingdom had divided. Israel was the northern kingdom. Judah was the, uh, Israel was the northern kingdom. Judah was the southern kingdom. King David, then his son, King Solomon. 
he was king. And after that, they had a hard time deciding who was going to be king over both. There are some uh, uh, arguments over these forced labor camps that Solomon had. They I thought they were forced to build the temple. So there's a lot of bricking going back and forth, but eventually the kingdom did split. And Ahaz was uh, king of the southern kingdom of Judah. Now we find in 2 Kings chapter 16, verse 2, that Ahaz was 20 years old when he became king, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. This is a sad commentary coming up next. And he did not do what is right in the sight of the Lord his God, as his father David had done. He reigned 16 years, but he did not do what was right in the sight of God. Sadly, Baal worship, the idol of Baal, was being worshipped there, and it reached its peak in the southern kingdom during his reign. Now, during this time, Assyria was growing stronger and threatening other nations. So Israel and Syria, or Am as it says in your text, joined forces to protect themselves. They wanted Judah to align herself with them. But Judah refused to do so, because you know what King Ahaz was doing? Or Ahaz, a prancer, right? He was going to Assyria and secretly bargaining with that nation to protect him. He did not, and he did this against the prophet Isaiah's advice. He did receive their assistance, but he paid a very heavy tribute for that. Now Judah was attacked by Israel and by the Rezin was the king of Damascus for refusing to stand against a serious aggression. So because he wouldn't align themselves with them, they got mad and going to attack him and put someone in there who would. In Isaiah chapter 7, look back at verse 4. This is the Lord speaking to him through the prophet. Take care and be calm. Have no fear and do not be faint-hearted. Verse 6. This is what God is telling him what these two did. They said, let us go up against Judah and terrorize it and make for ourselves a breach in its walls and set up the son of Tabeel as the king in the midst of it. Thus says the Lord God, it shall not stand, nor shall it come to pass. God is telling them, I know these two are coming after you. They want to overtake you and put someone in there who will be uh, with their cause, but I'm not going to let it stand. Well, apparently this promise didn't go real far with King Ahaz because if you look back at verse 10, that's the reason why the Lord spoke again to him. Now, as part of the punishment for Israel's persistent ideology, God would hand the northern kingdom, Israel, over to the Syrians in 722 B.C. So now you have Judah. After King Ahaz... You had King Hezekiah, Hezekiah, he was good king, had a revival that broke loose, and he followed by three more evil ones, and they continued to go downhill. And then after the Babylonians have attacked, attacked the Syrians and took over, Jerusalem would fall to the Babylonians in 586 B.C. A little history here. So in the context of all that going down, in verse 11, he tells the king, ask a sign. A sign of confirmation for yourself from the Lord your God. In other words, I just made this promise to you. If you don't believe me, try me and test me. Ask me for a sign. If you don't believe me, let me prove it to you. And he was to ask it in depth. Look at verse 11. That's as deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. And this sign was to give King Ahaz confidence in God 
rather than in the kingdom of Assyria that he would be protected. But look at his answer in verse 12. But Ahaz said, Oh, that's my play. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, nor will I test the Lord. He is trying to demonstrate piety, his faithfulness and holiness. He's not listening. He refuses to listen. And let's not forget, secretly behind everybody else's back, he was making a deal with Assyria, and God knew that. I'm not going to test the Lord. No, you don't. You're picking up your own thing, what you're doing. And then you get to verse 13. O house of David, is a too slight a thing for you to try the patience of men, that you will try the patience of my God as well. He is angrily criticizing the king because he's exhausting men and therefore exhausting God. Specifically on this crisis. Now his rejection to take the prophet's advice was tantamount to blasphemy. He is treating God in the same manner that he treated his subjects. Didn't really God, he didn't care. He was setting up his own deal. See what's happening here. He set up his own deal with Assyria that he'd be protected. He had to pay for it. But sadly, not only would Israel fall, but later Judah will fall to the Babylonians. And that leads us to verse 14. The Lord himself will give you a sign. A virgin will conceive and bear a son, and she will call him Emmanuel. Now this had significance to Ahaz and Judah. It's a reminder that God's going to be with his people and take care of them and protect them. Now some say, this is speaking to an actual young maiden who would give birth, possibly Isaiah's second wife. But we don't really know. And by the way, as a side note, before I forget, the word virgin does not appear in the Hebrew text. It's young maiden. And here's the reason for that. If you're a young girl, Hebrew girl, living in the village, you better be a virgin until you get married. Because if you're found not to be a virgin, there are serious consequences, not only for you, but also for your family. It was understood a young woman who was not married would be a virgin. And some people say, well, see, they, they, they changed that. No, it was understood in the context in which the book was written, that would be the case. Now, according to scriptures, you see this in the gospel, this sign of a virgin giving birth saw a complete fulfillment in the birth of Jesus Christ, which leads us to point number one. The signs of God gives us hope. Hundreds of years before Mary and Joseph ever came to Bethlehem, hundreds of years before there was a crowded inn and a dusty old stable, God had spoken through the prophets. He told his people to watch for a virgin who would become pregnant. Now, this doesn't happen every day. There's no mistake, and this had to be of God. It couldn't be of man. God did this. Only God could do this. And the signs of God working in your personal life will often be things that you cannot do on your own, produce on your own. And that's where hope is born. Because if I could do things all by myself, I would not need God. But I need God. And I need him working in my life. To help me with my marriage. To help me being a father to my three girls. Be a grandfather to my three granddaughters. To help me as a pastor. To help me as a Christian. I need all that. And I cannot do it without God. And that gives me hope. 
If I didn't need him, then I wouldn't have any hope. And when virgin gives birth to a son, that work is of God, only he can do that. Remember what the angel Gabriel said to Mary in, the, in their conversation he had with Mary? Luke chapter 1, verse 37, for nothing will be impossible with God. Have we lost that? Do you really believe that nothing's impossible with God? If we do believe that, then kind of have to ask yourself, then what's the holdup with God's people here in this country? But that's another sermon for another time. That leads us to point number two, that God with us is the hope that we need. When creation was in a total mess, God did not tell us to get our act together. Then he'll come. He didn't say, Tim, clean up your life and then come see me. He didn't say that, did he? He took the first step toward us. He initiated it. He came to us. He made the first move. I like the way the Apostle Paul puts this in Romans chapter 5, verse 8. God demonstrates his own love towards us in that we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God did not come to us because we deserved it, not because we earned it, it was all because of his great love, and he knew that we could not get ourselves out of the mess of sin that we're in. It was the knowledge of God that God would one day return for his people that kept the people of God going. This was inspired their hope. And today we have hope because he has come just as it was foretold. Not only has he come, he lived a perfect life. He laid his life down, paid the sacrifice for faith for the penalty of sin for on my behalf, and he rose again. He's at the right hand of the Father, and he's promised to come back and take us back to where he is. Let me just illustrate that a little step further. There's a story about a man who was in a diner one night, and he had spent many summers in Maine, and he was fascinated his friends about this uh, story he would tell them. There's about a little town named Flagstaff up there. Not Flagstaff, Arizona. I'm talking back up in Maine. This town was to be flooded to make a man-made lake. Sort of what they did in Bridgeport way back before I came to Texas, way back when. They're making a dam and they're going to flood the town. When the town got word of this, all the repairs and maintenance of the town stopped. Nothing got taken care of. Nothing. No homes, no businesses, nothing. And as the weeks went on, guess what happened? The town got down and down further. They figured, what's the use? And here's the point. Where there is no faith in the future, there is no power in the present. Do we have faith in the future? I know things look bad now. My goodness gracious, just turn on the TV, sit and watch the news. But dearly beloved, this is not our home. I face tomorrow with anticipation and confidence, not because of the path that lies before me, it's because of the path that lies behind me, where I see how God has worked in my life time and time and time and time again. So we have the luxury of looking back over the Old Testament prophecies, seeing many of them come to fruitation with the birth of Christ. The Israelites waited on God to come. 
We look back at the God who has come and is presently with us. Perhaps the problem is that far too many of us have the mentality of those who lived in that town that's going to be flooded. We have stopped believing that God is with us, so nothing will ever get better. We stopped hoping for a change in the wind or a bit of a new life. And when you give up hope, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. When we lose hope, we stop trying to solve problems. We lose all hope. We turn to things like substance abuse. We lose the will to fight. Is that where we are? Have we lost our hope in the future? The good news today, dear beloved, there was a virgin who gave birth to a child, and that child was and is Emmanuel, God with us. God is not up there. God is not outside the building. He's right here with us in this moment. How would you like to talk to your representative here in Texas, in the Texas capital? Just pull your representative over, have him over to your house, and just give him a little piece of your mind. Would you like to do that? I would. How about our senators and our, our people in Congress? Would you like to have a one-on-one with him? How about even the president himself? I don't care who the president is. To, to come into the White House. Have the, you know how much clearance you have to get, you get in there? To the Oval Office? And then to have more than just two minutes with the guy? To sit down in that Oval Office and look at the president across that desk and make eye contact and have a face-to-face conversation with him. Would you love to do that? Oh, dearly beloved, we have the creative universe who's here every Sunday, Sunday, Sunday with us at all times, no matter where we go. He's with us. And Jesus said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. He is with us. I think sometimes that with all the news and information that bombard us every single day through radio, TV, the internet, newspaper, magazines, all these messages coming at us from every different direction and you're being pulled in every different direction. We have to stop clear our minds and clear our hearts and remind ourselves of the gospel truth. And that leads us to point number three. Jesus' sacrifice gives us hope. His life is booked in by two major events. His birth, we just read about the prophecy in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. But it's, awfully, it's also prophetically Spoken about a few chapters later in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 5. He was pierced through for our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging or wounds, we are healed. Now think about this. Hundreds of years before Jesus grew up to be a man, before he had three years of powerful ministry, Hundreds of years before Jesus was arrested, crucified, and killed, Isaiah writes the truth about the manger is going to lead to a cross. Jesus was pierced in his hands and his feet by nails. He was crushed, beaten by his accusers. He received rooms on our behalf, and by his sacrifice, we have freedom from our own sin and rebellion. 
That's where our hallelujah comes from. That's why we celebrate Christmas. I mean, Christmas wouldn't be exciting to me if he came and didn't do anything. Then after our sacrifice, I mean, I would have no hope. But because of his life, his death, and his resurrection, I have hope. I have hope. And by the way, that hope I'm talking about is not like, I hope it doesn't rain on Wednesday for the tree, tree lighting event. No, it's a sure, stas, steadfast hope. In fact, it is so sure it's going to happen, you can speak it in past tense. A lot of biblical writers do that. Though you and I are deserving of death for the penalty of sin that we have committed, Jesus took it on himself. Listen to me, your hope of healing... Freedom, wholeness, and eternal life is made possible because of him. <laughs> I've heard it said that if Christmas is the promise, then Easter is the proof. You hear me? If Christmas is the promise, then Easter is, a proof, is the proof. We celebrate Christmas because we know the resurrection is coming. And we've been given the awesome privilege of offering the hope that we found in Christ to others. Not a better season to do that than a holiday season we find ourselves in. It may cost me something. It may be a sacrifice to do that. But considering all that God has done for me and what he is going to do, that's the least, the very least I could do for him. The promised hope. God with us. My prayer is that this holiday season your heart will be filled with the hope that is yours in the birth, life, and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I pray that we'll be so overwhelmed with gratitude that we'll be compared, compelled to serve and sacrifice for others as a way of sharing our hope with the world. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. For the love of Christ controls us, or the love of Christ compels us. Having concluded this, or we are convinced of this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all, so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. It's the hope that we have. In this season, we have the great privilege and a wonderful opportunity to share others what this season truly is about. The hope that we have in Christ. What is a way you can offer that hope? Sacrifice the giving to his church or to see an individual need? Take care of it. Perhaps it would be writing a letter or a note to encourage someone to share the hope that you have in your life. Think about that. God's people in the Old Testament could face the future with hope based upon a promise. That's what kept them going. And you and I have the luxury of looking back on the Old Testament, reading the Old Testament prophecies hundreds of years before they came to fulfillment. And we can see how it all been fulfilled in Christ. Share the hope. I like to repeat 
what you read in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 as a way of conclusion, and I'm reading out the NIV. In your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Be ready. And let me tell you, they're out there looking for it. Out there looking for it. And the world having to believe you just get this, you just get that, get this, get that. You get this new wonderful thing for That's the reason they say it makes a wonderful Christmas gift. Somehow it's going to bring that satisfaction and peace to you. But it might for a while. You know, all analogies break down, so keep that in mind with this next one. It's wonderful buying a new truck, a new car, isn't it? You get into the thing, and it smell, has a new car smell. Ooh-wee, I love this thing. And then the payments hit. And they keep coming. And they keep coming. You're thinking, well, this wasn't that great. And then you see a commercial. Buy this one. It's better than your old one. So what do we do? We trade the other one. We get the new one. We're happy again. The payments come. We get tired of it. You see that cycle repeating, 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 don't you? It could be a car, it could be a relationship, it could be money, financial situation, it could be a lot of things. But the world promises something that can never deliver. And that's only Christ who is the promised hope. Do you have that hope in your life? If you don't, then come down here in a minute and I'll share with you the reason I have hope. But I'll do it with gentleness and respect. I'll yell at you or laugh at you. If you have experiences, you place your faith in Christ, have you lost it? Are you stressed out, full of anxiety about what's happening around us? Yeah, we should be concerned about it. But regardless of where we find ourselves, we have that peace that passes all understanding. Perhaps there's some sin you need to repent of, or maybe you just need to pray about it and lay it down. And then thirdly, maybe he's leading you to join us here at this local body. You know, one more thing. Are you tired of the same old thing? Come to church, get pumped up, then see the songs you wanted, so everyone's a little off, and you walk out kind of defeated. Let me encourage you with this. Lay your burdens down once and for all, and don't pick them up. Leave them. Trust God with them. Don't let this season of Christmas time stress you out. Remember what it's all about. The great I am took on human flesh, was born in a dirty old stable and a feeding trough. Not in a great big palace that he deserved. Shepherds considered the downcast of society were there at his birth. And in the end, he died. Best friends left him. Peter denied him. Died a death of a criminal. 
But that's not the whole story, is it? But the rest of the story, he rose mightily from the grave. Victory over sin and death. And he is coming again. Christmas is about his birth. That's wonderful. But don't forget the rest of the story. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning and we thank you for your word. We thank you for the the hope that we have in your son. Father, we thank you that indeed you are a promise keeper. You keep your word. And your word never returns to you void without accomplishing it, accomplishing what you have it to do. Father, you know everyone's heart in this place. You know what they're thinking even at this moment in time. Father, I pray there's any here that are hurting, stressing out, may have just kind of lost their way that today they will come back to you. Father, as you reach out your arms of mercy and love to each individual than the sound of my voice. We thank you for what you have done, what you currently are doing, and what you will do in the future. Your will be done. In Christ's name we pray.